0: Give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin. The only problem you're gonna have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back, the Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst, the Draft Act NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Corey Tullaba, and I am here with a special. Guest co-host today, my guy Stephen Gillespie, filling in for Albert. Garbage time, Gim. Stephen, what's going on, man?
1: Dude, what's good, Corey? It's been a hot minute since we've been able to do like any live work together. We've been talking a lot behind the scenes, you know, prepping for season two of the No Ceilings Collective. You're working your show, working Draft Deeper. Just released an episode not too long ago with Maxwell and Nathan, and the Big Three is kicking off really strong. And dude, you got me on here to talk about one of the one of the prospects I'm most excited to talk about. I mean, just all the good stuff that I have been missing is coming together. And I'm just excited to be here, dude.
0: Yeah, man. I'm excited to have you on. It's been a minute. You uh, you know, you went on on your journey for a few months towards the end of mm-hmm. the last cycle, but I'm really excited for the uh, you know, your Your return to the Draft Deeper podcast for the addition of Maxwell, I think you, Nathan, and Maxwell are going to really bring uh, some interesting points and counterpoints and just a really fun dynamic to, to the Draft Deeper podcast. But we're not here to talk about the Draft Deeper podcast. What we are here to talk about. Is one Nick Smith somebody who I believe you're probably going to be uh very excited to watch this year you know as, it. You, yeah. as you are and uh you know a, a fan of the Arkansas college basketball team? So, um, a little background on Nick Smith, uh, headed to Arkansas, uh, 18 years old, will be 19 on draft night, but very young 19 on draft night. He is listed at 6'5", you might see 6'3", you might see 6'4", 185, uh, average 26.5 points per game, 8 rebounds, 7.3 assists as a high school senior. Preseason stock prices for Nick Smith. ESPN has him at 3. SB Nation has him at 7. Bleacher Report has him at 7. The Athletic has him at 4. Tankathon has him at 3. That is an average price of 4.8. So, Steven, I ask you, is Nick Smith stock price too high, too low, or is it priced just right at
1: 4.8? So I'll answer like this. I think for preseason, it's it's just fine. You know, I, I, I'm i rounding that up to five. Yep. Me personally, on my preseason board, I have him at six. Um, I think that he and, you know, a guy like Keontae George might be pretty interchangeable. So I, I'm not mad at it, dude. I think that right now coming into the year, it, it's a pretty fair ranking.
0: I I agree with you. I also
1: have him at six
0: right now on my personal board. There's a lot to like, a lot that, you know, I want to see him improve upon. But just as a baseline skill, I, you know, there's always a place in the league for a guy like him. And uh, I mean why not just get right into what makes him the type of prospect where we feel comfortable having him on that borderline of, of being top five and during the preseason um, we're going to start with his offense. And since you are the guest co-host, I, I'm going to let you choose where we begin on the offensive side of the ball. So what skill do you want to break down first uh, for Nick Smith?
1: So I'm a big proponent of uh, working our way up to, you know, the things that we like best. I'm going to look at this like dinner time. You know, I was raised, you know, eat the food that you don't like the most first. That way you finish on a high note. You have a better taste in your mouth when you walk away from the dinner table. So we're going to do that. Let's talk about his finishing on the inside, Corey, because I think that. When I'm looking at breaking down him and a guy like Keontae George, I think that they're built kind of similarly. Like Keontae looks just much stronger. And I think yeah, he's he, a little he, stockier. He's more stockier. He's a little bit more squared up on the upper body. And I think that that bolds very well for him. Nick Smith, not so much, but that's not to say that he can't get there. And I think that that shows itself um, in higher levels of competition that his ability or even just his tendency to even want to get to the basket, I think isn't as high as what I would like to see right now. I think that he does kind of understand that about himself right now. And he kind of counteracts that with a nice floater game. I think that he's got good touch when he's uh, attacking the basket Uh, to go along with finishing on the inside. You have to get there. And I think that his handle looks pretty decent. I don't know if it's going to be the best in the class, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out by the time that the season is done. Us looking at Nick Smith and saying he's got a really nice handle package. So, I'm looking at that interior finishing. That's something that I'm keying in on right now as a, an area of improvement or not even necessarily improvement because we don't, there's not a lot of it available to us. So I just want to see if it's real, how prevalent it's going to be. And I think that when we consider that he's going to be playing for the Razorbacks, they're going to be playing at a breakneck pace. So I think that he's going to have ample opportunity to be able to show off his finishing ability if it's there.
0: Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a weakness of, of his finishing, but it's right. certainly not something that I, I think he relies on or even tries to get to, unless it's something where he drives the lane, he can make a crafty move, get somebody off balance. And he's almost finishing with no defense around at the, at the hoop. I, I you know, I, I think bringing up Keontae is really smart because um, Keontae is, is so good at finishing through contact and he almost Mm -hmm. sneaks it out. He does have those, you know, change hands mid air, the hang time finishes too, but he's so good at just absorbing contact and finishing through it. And that probably lends itself to that strength that you touched on earlier. But what you mentioned is, is that Nick Smith, really relies on that floater. And from what I've seen early on, I think he has one of the best floaters in the class. Right. So a lot of times, whereas Keontae George will just go straight into um, a player, right. And just absorb the contact and, uh, and finish through it. Nick Smith opts to not, you know, drive all the way to the hoop instead pull up for that little float game. So it's similarities and differences because, You know, Keontae, I think he doesn't rely on the floater enough, you know, that Mm -hmm. little in-between area. Because I think that Keontae has a a, a solid – he has solid touch, you know, in that little in-between as well. Um, But I I think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Nick Smith does adapt to that at the next level. Because, you know, while he isn't that stocky build that Keontae is – I think that he does have good broad shoulders, you know, he's definitely leaner, much leaner. Um, But I think he's got a good frame. It's almost like that. I mean, obviously he's not as tall, but it's like that Brandon Ingram type of frame. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and, and lean, especially coming in now and I could see him really filling out when he, you know, gets to the league one day. But yeah, I I think that just his ability to get all the way to the hoop and finish through contact is definitely, you know, the aspect of his game that, I really want to see most improve.
1: Yeah, and I and I agree with a lot of what you just pointed out. And something else to consider with his finishing abilities, we're talking about his strength and we're talking about his frame. He's very creative too. I think in the opportunities that we have seen him try to attack the basket, he's not very stiff. I think a lot of the prospects that we have coming into this year's draft class, they don't have enough wiggle. And I think that Nick Smith does have some wiggle in his game. and sure. his, And he just moves so well too. I was saying this on on our podcast is that when you watch him move, he just looks like an NBA player. Like when when he's dribbling, when his off ball movement, which I think if you consider the players that he's going to have alongside him at, at Arkansas, a guy like Anthony Black, I wouldn't be surprised to see Arkansas implementing him as kind of a, a table setter for Nick Smith because he has good burst and because he is very good moving off the ball. I think that that's only going to help him. And I think that again, you know, talking about players making good decisions for, where they go to continue their development, I think that Nick Smith Jr. made a good decision to go to Arkansas because Mus is going to do such a good job of accentuating his strong points and giving him areas to explore the the studio space too, and some of his weaker areas. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a little bit more aggressive than what we've seen when he does make that um, you know jump to college basketball. And we and we've seen a little bit of it already too when you know Arkansas went on their world, world tour and, and and did some great things, you know. Nick played great. There's just a lot of dogs there. It's just, again, working our way up to what we like to eat the most, Corey. I just, the the finishing and the attacking is something that I want to get a little bit better at, at seeing him do.
0: I will say, one of the best parts of being an adult is like, I love ice cream. Mm. And, you know, you know, when you're a kid, you're supposed to eat, you know, like you said, you go in order, you eat the stuff you don't yeah. want. As an adult now, if I want to have ice cream for dinner. I'm just gonna have ice cream for dinner.
1: There you, know you go. I mean? I'm not I, eating I, peas. Yeah, Man, I, I don't. I don't
0: you know, my my wife will try to. You know, she'll make me vegetables sometimes, and she is a, a a brilliant cook. So you know, when she does it, she does it right. But if I if I was choosing, I, you know, I want some ice cream. You know, I want hmm. some ice cream for for dinner, and you know, I treat myself every once in a while. Um, you have to. You know, you touch on his handle, and I agree. I think it's excellent. Um, he's got the ball on a string. He's got the wiggle. He's got the shiftiness. I really like the, you know, the pace that he plays at too. I think that's yeah. something that really stood out uh, in high school in those, that international tour and, and, you know, with team Brad Beal elite um, in the EYBL, I, I think he has a really good control of the game. Now, you know, one of the areas that I feel like I've kind of, I don't want to say disagreed, but I don't, I don't think I'm as big a believer in his point guard skills as some of the other guys, on the Mm -hmm. no killings team i think he's capable of running and initiating offense for sure and we'll touch on his passing in a bit right but i i do think and you touched on you know playing alongside anthony black i think that's going to be really positive for him because i think at the next Mm -hmm. level he is not a guy that i want to be my primary initiator he's a guy that i want to be able to do it and you know at times and lead the offense but i don't want him to be that primary guy that table setter because i agree he does have some nice off off ball stuff and and i think that playing with a guy like anthony black who i think may be the best passer in the class uh at least okay. in, in the preseason going in and he's a big guard i think they complement each other really well so uh i i do think that's important because you know when we're talking about his self-creation his handle while it's great i don't think he has like elite or not even necessarily like very good, like first step burst, you know, mm-hmm. certainly not in the way like the Thompson twins do uh, even like a guy like Jairus Walker, or Cam Whitmore, who are like a little bit, you know, a little bit much more athletic yeah. where you can just be like one step, you know, no dribbles, just a little shimmy and they're blowing by. He doesn't necessarily have that to his game. And you know, like I was watching uh, one of the games against New- the New Jersey scholars and in- for Brad Bill Elite and this, that's DJ Wagner's team. And DJ Wagner was given, you know, Brad Bill Elite the business in that game. And uh, as much as I love the, you know, the pace in which Nick Smith plays, I thought that when he was the lead decision maker, and he was really getting pressured, had guys all up in his shit, like in his grill, really making him work. He really got sped up in a way that I hadn't seen a lot of. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, but it was really like, oh man, like, you know, he's got a long way to go against really intense defenses to where he might see that more often at the college level where he's gonna be playing against much, you know, more consistent, tough backcourt defenders than he did, you know, at the high school level, especially AAU where it's very open and up and down but the, the scholars were playing it very like way more intense than you usually see that normal AAU style. And it really, really tripped him up. I, you know, it was probably one of the worst games that he had played throughout the whole year. And, you know, you don't want to look at one game because it could just be, you know, he had a bad outing, but it wasn't yeah. even necessarily like missing shots. And, and he just looked rushed and sped up because the, it was just too fast a pace for, for him so as much as i do love how he controls it because i think in most of the other games like he's not like forcing shots like he looks like one of these buckety guys and he is like he's a ball Mm -hmm. don't stop kind of player who can really score right but he's um he does he does do it in a way that is uh, is mature for his age like it doesn't seem forced and he's playing at multiple speeds he's using you know he's getting up and down and going side to side and using that shiftiness and not forcing things which is good but i i do worry about him if i'm like all right this is my lead ball handler going forward my number one guy who has to create offense for not only himself but everybody else consistently i do worry as we level up that that's something that you know it might shine through as a weakness you know as much as maybe that at room finishing does
1: yeah and just listening to you break that down i think that you did a great job Corey, presenting your case that you don't look at him as necessarily being a lead guard but that's okay man like one For of the sure. one of one of the things that I wrote about, you know, since I've been back, I think I have like three pieces up on noceilingsnba.com right now. Um one of them was, was what is the most success? what are some of the most successful player types that that go transition from, you know, the amateur level basketball to the NBA. And some sometimes man just being an off guard is one of the most desirable things in the NBA because there's only so many players in the NBA right now, Corey, or on a team that you're going to trust to initiate an offense. And sometimes you need a guy who on that second side, that weak side, when the defense is recovering, who might not have the the most elite first step, but I think off ball, he moves very well. Dribbling, he's not as fast, which is fine because he has that mature game. What I like to call Corey, that old man game where everything is just kind of happening around him and he can just make smart decisions. Couple that with, you know, Decent enough burst to get maybe past a recovering defender. He's got the float game. I trust him to make a smart kick out. And, you know, if he's working on that finishing and getting stronger, that's only going to add more to his game. And so it makes me wish that a team like the Dallas Mavericks or the Boston Celtics, someone with a big creator, that can just, like, make, make the defense collapsing and trying to close out on him pay and leaving a guy like Nick Smith open just to have so many different options to finish a play.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma City. You know, teams like that. Yeah. You know, that backcourt has has a lot of guys that are you know kind of similar, but yeah, I I love him in that off ball role. It's why I am so happy that Arkansas built their team this year the way they did because I think mm-hmm. he's really going to get that and he's going to show people that like he doesn't need the ball necessarily all the time in order to still be effective. Because I agree, he does have that off ball aspect to his game, and you know, I, I think that really opens up a lot of the shooting. Which you know, you talk about starting slow you know with the early with the, the stuff we don't want to like we don't yeah. like to eat and, and get to it i mean the shooting i think he is coming in he's one of the best shooters you know in the lottery and i think when we're talking about him in you know an off ball role almost any time he was in a spot up situation i felt like it was going in you know i mm-hmm. think the kid has got a strap when he can just catch and shoot he's got a strap i think he could shoot it off movement you know he didn't do A ton of that at like the high school AAU level. Maybe sometimes like in the mid-range, he would come off, you know, some movement. Not not so much from behind the line, but I do think he could add that to his game. Um, but I I like that he's not going to need the ball in his hands. I like that he's gonna be able to spot up and space the floor in real ways, especially Arkansas's context. Like they have all of these athletic slashers, you know, in that in that front court, guys that are finishers, play finishers that maybe don't have that same floor spacing ability so that him being that guy, I think is going to be really uh, important for that team. And I think he's fully capable of it.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, you know, just listening to, to you talk about his spot up ability, it's, it's good that he, it's good that he has that right now while he's continuing to work on that ball handling and development to, to run an offense and to lead a team because you don't have to worry about your step back if you're wide open for a three point shot, right? Like, That's your easy shot. And then from there, again, closing out. One of the biggest things when we talk about like potentially a three and D prospect, and I'm sure we'll get to his defense here soon, is that you have to be able to be trusted to make a smart decision when the defense is closing out on you, because if you're a great shooter, defenders are going to sell out and give you everything that they got to make sure that you don't have a clean look at that at that shot. Nick Smith can definitely make people pay again. You know, we're talking about him growing in his strength, growing in his confidence in, in handling the ball, that float game being as lethal as it is. And it puts him in a perfect role because, you know, as we're advancing, you know, starting to get into the mac and cheese, everybody loves mac and cheese, right, Corey, is that I do? his passing isn't first tier. I think that he's got what it takes to be a great, like a, a good secondary, definitely one of the best tertiary ball handlers on an NBA level team. I think he's that good. And which is fine. Like not everybody has to be Kyrie Irving out there on the court. You just have to be able to be trusted and make that good read. And one of the things that I have as an improvement area, Corey, and I'm interested to see what you think about this is that like second level next step passing. I don't think that he has that in his game right now to where he can kind of bend the perimeter of a defense or the help side defense to his will. I don't think that he has that in his game right now, and this is where basketball philosophy is so fun to talk about. Because is this a skill, and Gore, you being a coach, is this a skill that you can obtain, or is this something that you can just learn a couple of different reads based off of where you are and where you expect the defense to be, and you just kind of throw a guy open type thing? You know, is this something that repetition helps you with? Is this something that you know running specific drills with cones and and, and coaches with the little body bags out there? You know. What can you do to help build this guy up as a, an advancing play creator?
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on whether I think he has it or not, but I do think that it's something that can be taught. Um, I think that so much of basketball is like chunking and pattern recognition that mm-hmm. if, if you're really willing to work and put in the time and watch film and, and you'll start seeing where these openings are, right? It, that's not the end of it because you know there's definitely a difference between watching film and seeing things on film and then being able to recognize that in real time but watching the film and breaking that down and learning where the passing angles are will help you kind of understand then it's about getting reps and you know i for me live action is the best way to simulate that you could obviously Mm -hmm. do drills and hammer home like hey we want you to you know make weak side hits when you shift the defense. If you're coming off a ball screen to the right side, that defense is starting to, to shift over and overload, you know, to, to cut the cord in half. You're going to have probably the the most important guy, your low man under the hoop. You're going to have one guy splitting the difference on the weak side. And you have to read where these guys are and figure out which guy to whip that ball to, because, you know, it's so hard at the high, the higher levels you go to is so hard to play on one side. You got to be able to make the defense shift and force scrambles, right? But I do think that is learnable. I think you see it with a guy like Devin Booker, guys like Zach Levine, like these shooting guards who maybe didn't come into the league as natural passers. But with reps, they maybe still aren't natural passers, guys that you want to run your offense as a number one option. There's certainly no Luca or you know LeBron, who just has that this innate ability to see these things yeah. from the jump, right? Like I do think there is something innate about it for the truly great guys. Chris Paul, like they just know how to leverage their ability and where guys are good. They just see it. Right. That's Mm -hmm. natural. They've been doing it forever. And it probably, you know, it comes from reps growing up, you know, from being really little. And and, but it's just it's almost innate Um, Mm -hmm. with Nick Smith. I did highlight a couple of specific moments that because I agree with you. I think he's like 85 percent of the passer I'd like him to be. Right. You know, I I don't think. And that's another reason, like, I don't think that he's a point guard outside of just like he can get sped up when you're really applying pressure. I don't think he's like a a top tier passer. And I think if you're going to be the primary initiator on your team, you have to not only you know be able to make plays for yourself, but make those plays that we're talking about for your teammates. And I think that bar is super high now. Mm when we're talking about like, can he make those hits? Like there's one play that stuck out in my mind. He knew to make the weak side read. Right. And, but he passed it to the corner shooter when the right play was actually to the wing, to the weak Mm. side wing, because the weak side wing defender was sinking a little bit more to the corner on the split. So he still went to the corner and so it forced, you know, like the closeout wasn't as far, and it didn't force as much of a scramble, you know, especially yeah. because this is like uh, AAU ball, so it's not like oh, the the guy's <laughs> cheating a little bit to the corner, so that means yeah. I just have to make one more to the wing, and the x out is gonna get there. like, you know, he just kind of held on to the ball, so it it. At the next level, maybe it's a one more, maybe it's still an open shot, but it wasn't exactly the read you want because the closeout wasn't as far and it didn't force that scramble situation. So like he knew he saw, oh, I'm going to make this weak side read because the defense is overloaded, but he didn't make, you know, the recognition of which guy he was actually supposed to pass the ball to. It didn't result in the turnover. It it didn't result in anything necessarily negative. It just didn't result in the same kind of shot attempt that if a guy like Luca who had made it, it would have. Um... You know, another play that stood out about his passing, he made this live dribble, left-handed pass to the baseline cutter. It was the right play, but it was off by that, like, 15% that I mentioned where he's, like, 85% yep. of the passer I want him to be. So, you know, instead of it being timed and placed exactly where it needed to go, it just wasn't on the money the way it needed to be. Like, he almost, like, he didn't, like, he waited till the cutter made it to the spot. Instead of passing it before he got to the spot, trusting him that he was going to get to the spot. And so instead of it being a layup, and again, this is high school, so kids aren't going to, you know, catch cleanly, go right up confidently. Mm-hmm. It turned into it wasn't a shot attempt or anything. So it's like, obviously, he knew that he could make that pass. He tried it, he made it a live dribble, left handed uh, pass, which is really difficult. It just was a little bit off. And it's something that those natural passers, they like, if it was Anthony Black, that pass would have been on the money would have been a layup because the timing would have been right. He'd have passed it early, would have met the the ball handler at the spot. um, And it just would have been a layup for Nick Smith. He has to figure out that timing. And I think that timing and that placement could be off with him sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I, you know that I don't remember exactly what game that you're referring to right now, but there have been instances like that I've watched him make that play and, it doesn't result in a basket. And then he has to either relocate for a shot, which he's very good at, or you know, he does he he sees something and he's not always confident in his ability to execute that pass. So he's got to dribble back out. And then you got to have him in the in the half court as your ball handler, which I don't know is necessarily going to be his strongest position, right? So I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. One thing that I want to see him do is since he's such a deadly since he has like a really good float game. I want to see him in opportunities where he kind of masks, you know, kind of James Harden-esque, right, where he masked the floater as an oot pass mm-hmm. or vice versa, masking the oot pass as a floater, because I think that that is going to compromise the defense and, and their confidence on where they're supposed to be in these know-your-personnel type of scenarios where there's one guy on an island, and he's got to figure out, okay, do I close out on Nick Smith or do I kind of hang back because – I don't know if the guy behind me or like Brazil, this dude is yeah. going to, I think that these gonna deep opportunities everything. are going are gonna to be great. You know, where do you go? And I think that that's going to be another area. It's very, it's kind of a subtle one. I don't think a lot of people are breaking this down on very much like Nick Smith junior Analyst. but I think that the floater games there, you're worried about his playmaking the float. I think the float and the oot pass are close enough in, in, in their up to where it's going to be kind of one of those easily teachable things.
0: Yeah. And you know, you saw like how devastating that could be when you watch Trey Young, right? Like, Trey Young is mm-hmm. so good at, at using that floater to his advantage, where like that big, he just in the drop, like he's got to, he can't go too far because Trey's going to, yep. you know, hit that floater. And if he comes out too far, it's going to be an oop when, for the dunker. So, and, and like you said, like Brazil, like Jordan Walsh, like these guys, I think yep. like, he's going to have opportunities to find these guys who are athletic finishers at the cup. To, to use that. And I do think he's capable of that. Cause I, I you know, I mean, look, he averaged, <clears throat> let me go back to it. I think it was, you know, eight assists, uh, 7.3 assists a game, you know, his senior year in high school and it's high school. He's got the ball a lot, right? He's the best player certainly. But, you know, I think that there is something to the fact that he does have some passing chops to yeah. him and, and he does recognize he does make, you know, he does have reads that you're like, that was a really nice, he made you know there you know he made some nice reads in um he's selfless right like he's not all about
1: him yeah
0: he's not he's not a he's not a a guy who's just looking to get his own I think he's really competitive um so even though you know he he does have these passing chops though and he is selfless you know the people want to know can this dude you know knock down shots off the bounce and Mm -hmm. and um I think that you know He's a, I think he's like, we touched on his off the ball shooting. I, I don't quite think his on the ball shooting is at the same level right now, but it is, he is, I do think he's going to be a knockdown shooter. He does mm-hmm. have, I think it's a really easy path for him to get there. Um, because I think off the bounce, he's got the ability to create the space. So that, you know, that's not an issue. He's got all the, the combo moves. He's got all that for me, my one note on him as a shooter off the dribble and he's going to he, you can't go under on him, either, you know, so like yeah. that's off the table the same way you can with some of these other wings. But my one note is that he tends to miss short a lot, you know, which is good yeah. because that, that means that there's something that's easily identifiable. And it, it's something that you could pick out to, you know, kind of fix the, the issue. And I think it comes from he doesn't get a lot of lift. You know, he it's very yeah. set shotty. You know, it's it's very much just you. You could probably slide a piece of paper under underneath <laughs> it, but but not much else, right? You know, a lot of shoot. You know, some shooters get a little bit more air. A guy like Ray Allen, you know, he had like a mm-hmm. you know he was very jumpy on his shot. Nick Smith is very much a set shot, and, and that's pretty popular for a lot of the younger you know kids that are that are shooting nowadays. Um, but I think that if he got a little bit of lift, nothing crazy, just a you know a little bit more lift, some of those short misses would actually be made. Um, you know, and, and I think that it would help with a, you know, a little bit more arc because his shots not flat by any means, but it's, uh, you know, it's definitely also not like a rainbow, but I, I, I I think there's a world in which like he doesn't shoot the percentage that he's going to shoot in the NBA where it's a little lower Mm. in college than maybe it will be at the next level, almost similar to Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxi's shooting issues were very clear and very fixable, in my opinion, in college. And people, you know, really overreacted to just the percentage, not taking into account the shots and, and how easy of a fix it was for a guy like Tyrese Maxey who plays as hard as he does and works as hard as he to fix. And you could see how quickly, like, it was never, it was a non-issue. So a guy who went into college as a with a shooting reputation struggled for one year in low sample, even though it, you know, functionally looked pretty good, and just fixed it right away. I could see that scenario playing out with him too, where he just has these small tweaks, but maybe doesn't necessarily, you know, have the kind of percentages we we envisioned uh, him coming into the year, but they're easy tweaks. So I, I'm still high on, on the jumper off the bounce. And, and I think that, you know, uh, he's going to be fine there.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that there's much about the shot that I walked away with like super concerned about, you know, even listening to you talk about it, him missing short wasn't anything that I that I think that even some even some analysts won't necessarily pick up on. But, you know, Corey, you being like a, you know, a, such a student of the game and a coach, especially, I feel like that's going to be something that that you have an eye for. Like, that's not something that I looked at. I never I don't claim to be a shot doctor. I'm not an MD on shot mechanics or anything like that. But it's not something that I that I walked away with, you know, just being completely open, honest and transparent about it. But that's something I'm going to go back when I'm, that I'm watching again and take note of, but talking about a shot, I do trust him more stationary than I, than I do like coming off of the bounce for it, unless it's inside the arch. Like he showed several times where I think that, you know, his, his stop and pull up game, I think is going to be, pretty uh, translatable at the next level, especially with the lanes that I'm anticipating being open, you know, the the people that he's going to have running alongside of him. I think that's going to give him multiple opportunities to kind of have the defense on their heels a little bit and catch them sleeping and, and be able to come up, you know, coupling with the floater and a nice pull up mid range elbow shot. I think that's just more tools in the box for him. And then I think too, that, with again, this is all based off of Anthony Black kind of being like a, a table setter for him. I think that he's gonna get a lot of open looks and a lot of time to get his shot off. Not necessarily that his load time is very long at all, but I just think you know, having that confidence knowing that I'm gonna have nice clean looks is gonna help him. And I think that there is a lot of psychological aspects to to hitting a jump shot, right? Like just being confident once you feel the ball, like enter your hands on a nice clean catch. And you can just sometimes you you know it's going in before the before your hands are even going up. And I think that that's something that Nick Smith has is the confidence in his jump shot. And again, if you, if you think that it's something clean that he can fix easily, the, the shot's really nothing that I'm concerned about at all. I think that this is going to be his calling card is going to be a really good off ball guard in the NBA with the with the threat of his shooting being like his his calling card.
0: Yeah, he's got, you know, and even though a lot of his misses are short, he does have some range to his jumper. Oh, and yeah. As you, I agree with you 100% that when he's coming off a screen and he's at that elbow, that is money. He, mm-hmm. He's money from the mid-range because a lot of those issues, um, they, they kind of disappear when he walks in at a closer range versus where you're further back, you know, you're going to tend to need a little bit more legs in your shot, right? And, and mm-hmm. I think especially like, you get tired as the game wears on and you have less legs, you're going to miss short when you're not getting, you know, a lot of lift or a lot of power from those legs. So, uh, but from the mid range, no worries at all. Like no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> you know, cause he's got good balance, you know, good footwork. Um, And he's got nice shooting forward, base
1: too. Mm-hmm.
0: great base, good follow through. It's clean. He waves goodbye to the ball. Like he is, he's a really, really good shooter. So I, I mean, I think that he's going to be one of the most fun offensive talents to, to track this year. And he's got the kind of team playing in the kind of offense that I think it's going to be really potent. So it's going to be interesting to, to kind of watch and see how that develops. So um, I think uh, unless you have any other points offensively that you'd like to touch on, um, I, I think that we can kind of, we'll take a quick break and then uh, we'll get into his defense. All right. So, All right, we're back. Um, and we're going to break down Nick Smith defensively. Uh, so we broke down the offense, and it's time for the other side of the ball. All right, let's 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 start now with the stuff we do like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, because we started out offensively with the stuff maybe that we thought needed a little work. For me, I want to talk about his one-on-one perimeter defense uh, at point of attack, because I think one of the things that stood out to be the most is he really likes to defend. Yes. He likes to defend. He, he is a dog. He will pick you up 94 feet. And that's something that I saw over and over again, not just in his high school games, in his AAU play, like in the, the, the tournaments, like this dude will just, he'll guard full court and put pressure on you and make you make decisions. And he could stay, he'll, he'll get in you you know, at, at most he's like an arm's length away and he uses his length, but he's, he's trying to make you make decisions and he's trying to make you uncomfortable. And that's what I like out of defenders. Now, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be Davion Mitchell or drew holiday or, or something like that right. on the ball. But I do think the effort that he gives is contagious. And when you're, you know, the, the best player on, on your team, one of the best players on your team, uh, And you're a guard and you're guarding a lot at the point of attack. I think that that's really important that that person is giving that kind of effort and he does. And I think it'll permeate throughout the rest of his team. So I I can't wait to see him bring that energy to, you know, the, the Arkansas uh, team this year, because uh, it's, it it was really impressive. Not, not all high school kids do that. A lot of the, a lot of high school kids will take plays off and, and kind of just, you know, not, consistently d up but not him when he was on the ball he was locked in
1: yeah and i think that this is where a lot of people can get real philosophical in their breakdown especially this early talking about the only film we have is like high school with some you know world competition experience too is that how much can you really buy in on a player's defense especially if they're the best player or one of the best players on their team because you get into the, the the philosophy of well He's got the athletic tools or the, the physical profile for his position that it should just be able to translate. It's all about buy-in. Or, you know, how important is guard defense anyway? You know, like it depends on your defensive scheme. You know, sometimes having ask a really Rudy good Gobert. point. Ask Rudy Gobert, right? No, like ask just the
0: Utah Jazz, how important <laughs> guard defense is.
1: Yeah, just just send him right on back. He's fine. I will I'm out here for an outlet pass if you need me. But um, you know, the thing that you touched on. I want to bring this back to his ability to play point guard, because sometimes just being the point guard is all about being the leader of the team, right? Like you're, you're intangibles, right? Like it's not just the feel when the defense is around you and you can just kind of bend it to your will. It's getting guys to buy in. It's having the team just, if they see you doing it as the leader of the team as a guard and you're defending your tail off and you have the desire to want to get better on that end, what excuse does anybody else have, Corey, for for not buying in? Right, like it's right. it's inexcusable. You know, like if you got guys like Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, Brazil, you know, you know, every anyone else on Arkansas, right? They have no excuse. Ricky Council, they they have no excuse not to buy in on the defensive side of the ball if Nick Smith is selling out. And I'm glad that you touched that. You want to work your way from from the good onto the to maybe the concerning. His individual defense, I I, I like because I just think that he has the tenacity to his game to be a really good individual defender. You know, isolation style SEC defense, you know, maybe that kind of works to his advantage a little bit. It's going to be team dependent, right? Like if he's going up against Calpari, maybe not so much, but, you know, maybe against some of the Alabamas of the world or Auburns, he might be in isolation situations to where he's just going to crowd whoever the guy is that he's lined up against, and he's just going to make their life hell for the entire game.
0: Yeah. And you talk about like, how much can you take from high school film? I think if you see a guy giving effort, Mm -hmm. I think that's important because defense at its core on ball specifically, but at its core, it's really about the effort that you give. Right. And how hard you're working and all of these intangibles. And he has that. So that I I thought was um, really impressive. Now, trying to project how switchable he might be, mm-hmm. you know, at the, in an NBA context that, you know, uh, I've seen him listed at six, five, there are days I'm like, he looks six, three, but that, you know, when in the scholars game, when he was lined up with DJ Wagner, he looked way bigger than him. So, yep. uh, you know, I, I don't know how tall he is. I, I don't know <laughs> if he's six, five with really long arms, you know, maybe he's got a, maybe he could be like a three position defender, Um, but ideally i think you want him kind of covering those backcourt positions and i think you know if he was playing next to a guy like anthony black you know that's the kind of guy who can potentially guard up in in more positions i think that's the kind of context that you want just this big team next to a big initiator so you know when there are switches their size all over the floor
1: yeah and you're talking about switchability yeah, we. I'll go back to how I compared him to Keon to to Keontae George. Keontae George, like you, you look at his measurements and you're like, he plays way bigger than that. Like he just he plays huge. He gets the he's like a, a bullfrog out there, right? Like he's swollen up. Like you can't really tell how big this guy is. Whereas Nick Smith, if he's 6 five, I'll be shocked, man, because he one it's how quick he kind of is on his feet a little bit. I think that kind of looks like or helps him to look like he plays a little smaller, but when we're talking about him switching off of that point of attack defense and getting him on some of these wings or, or forwards or whatever, he, he plays a little small, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't kind of try to scale up to the level of defender that he's going up against. I think that he kind of, he plays a little small and, and I'm concerned about that too, when you're, when you're talking about switching, but again, this goes back to when you're, when you're evaluating him at the collegiate level, you want him to be, um, you know that really good point of attack defender, but if we're going up to the NBA level, we're talking about an off-ball shooting guard. It's really not asked that much of you just to be like a, a defensive stalwart. And I hate using that as like a back pocket excuse, but it's it's true, right? Like it's forgivable for you to not be a switching guard in the NBA if you're like that six three, six two, unless you're is Smart, right? Like unless that's the only job well, yeah, you really but, have.
0: But you see how much like the, the deeper you get in the playoffs and you know you I think evaluating these guys in the context of like one day can they get there I do think that's yeah. important right because Marcus smart you never really had to worry
1: no you know, you know Grant, he's darn you know, Pascal Siakam yeah you you know?
0: Know, right like you don't have to worry about that <laughs> issue you want to when you're building the team I think you want to eliminate as many issues as as possible so I, I think it's across that bridge when you get there moment like we'll see like yeah. I mean, his body might really get stronger. Maybe he really is a legit 6'5, and you know, he's got a 6'10 wingspan, and that helps him as and if he's giving effort, right? But I the NBA, you're gonna you have, it's a different beast. You got you know, guys like Brandon Ingram and Kevin Durant, you know, that you're gonna have to switch on to, and it's just like yeah. turn and shoot. So I I
1: Are you gonna be Lou Williams or are you gonna be Fred Van Vliet? You know, right. like yeah, two, it's, two smaller it's, dudes, but It's that give a crap that you're talking about. It's
0: that give a crap. And I think he has that. So at the least, like, Mm -hmm. can you make him work a a little bit? Can you make it a little bit more difficult or is it a warm up? Is it a, you know, is there just a a guy who's 40 years old with a hand up that can't move around (laughs) guarding you in a practice setting? Right. I I think, I mean, Fred Van Vliet, if he gets to that level, I think you're looking at a really special player. It's um, an outlier like for Lee, sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're looking at a special guy on that end. Um, because you know he's got better physical tools than Fred Van Vliet does, certainly. But um we'll we'll see. I off the ball. I want I want to get your opinion on on his his defense uh off the ball.
1: I just think, you know, again, I'm talking going back to the podcast that we just did over at Draft Deeper. This is where I'm concerned with him is I'll couple this with the pick and roll defense too, right? Because mm-hmm. I just think that he he has a propensity to just die on screens a little too easily, which is really strange because it's like that doctor Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde thing, where it's like you watch him as a point of attack defender, and he's so scrappy and he's tenacious, and you know he's got you know smoke coming out of his ears and his nose, and then off the ball, it just seems like it's just so easily for him to lose his guy, and I think a lot of that has to go to communication, and a lot of it has to go with knowing your personnel on a different side of the ball. Whereas you, like, as you broke down with his offense, like he's trying, he's being more creative. He's taking a little bit more risk and repetition where I think on the defensive side, it's almost like he's scared to kind of give that side of the ball that same level of, uh, you know, creativity where he's like, how, like, where can I gamble on some angles? You know, do I have to be this close to a guy if he's moving You know, am I watching the ball at the same time as I'm watching kind of like the torso of my opponent? Like, I'm just curious to see what his kind of like what he's bringing to that side of the ball mentally, because I don't know what his setup is like, you know, upstairs when he's playing off the ball. I don't know what he's evaluating, what he's looking at, what he's reading. And that would just be something cool just to kind of like sit down and help him to watch film and break that down, because. He's got the physical tools. He's got the give a crap on that point of attack. He's just got to bring that same type of intensity. Maybe Corey, it could be something more than that, but I just think that he's a little bit more timid to take risk off the ball and to kind of sell out a little bit, so to speak for how he is, is playing alongside his opponent.
0: Yeah. I mean, off the ball defense that being in hell, you know, that, uh, that's the, that's the hardest part of, of defense. Cause it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of thinking involved. I think for me, my bigger concern, cause I, 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 I see where you're, what you're saying, um, where he, you know, he's very aggressive on the offensive end in all aspects. And maybe you're not seeing that same thing off the ball. But for me, it, cause like, I do think he, he's locked in off the ball, but for me, it's more of like, he's very face guardy a lot. Mm-hmm. Like he's, and, and that's something that Metcalf, I think, I think it was Metcalf, he mentioned when they talked about Smith on the No Ceilings pod. So, something I was looking for, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he's definitely a little face guardy. And it wasn't, you know, I was thinking like, oh, maybe it's just his high school film. Maybe it's, you know, that's something that he was instructed to do, you know, because coaches will, they'll be like, take this guy out of the game, right? You're going to face guard him. You don't have to worry about it. your responsibilities. Just take him out. But he was doing it a lot with the Brad Bill Elite team, too. So, uh, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, those two coaches were, you know, instructing him specifically mm-hmm. to just kind of stick to his man off the ball and be face guarding. What happens when you're doing that is that it leaves you in bad spots yeah. on rotations or if you do have to go and, you know, dig at the ball or something. Right. And you're so tight to your man and just you you leave him for a split second to try to help. All of a sudden, that's where you might lose a guy back door. Um, cause you're just not in the position, you know, right. you're not in the right position to kind of give them that elbow and bump them out of the way as you would be if you were just kind of, you know, ball man splitting, you know, the distance. So I, I, I that I am a little bit worried about. Um,
1: and I and think then, that too, just real quick, Corey, is that yeah. when you're, I want to, I want to, I'm sorry, just to jump in on this one no. particular thing is that when you're going up against more advanced and more creative offensive uh, schemes is that you're going to be more susceptible to getting screened a lot more, um, a lot more harder. Oh, and sure. it's going to create more, you know, open openings for, for the t- uh, offense as well.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, the offensive schemes that we see <laughs> at the NBA level mm-hmm. are really complicated, really complicated. I think, you know, at the college level, a lot of times, you know, you're going to, maybe not as complicated and, you know, a lot of times college teams will just like go to a bullshit zone and, you know, whatever. But when it comes to the offensive level, like he's going to be run, you know, put through the ringer, running off all this action, have guys off movement. And then all of a sudden you're 12 seconds into possession and the team somehow goes into a clean, like Spain pick and roll. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like on the fly, trying to figure out your responsibility. (laughs) that shit is hard yeah that shit is really really hard for you know veterans let alone young young players and you know I think that all of these guys are going to have a learning curve when it comes to stuff like that but uh definitely I think one of the things I'm looking for with with Nick Smith next year is is he going to be able to find himself as a team defender is is that something that they're going to focus on with him to help him position himself in the ways where you know it's he can run you know the team defense and not break out of it because team defense is about everybody being on a string right it's it's not about uh be you know one guy breaks out of it it could cause a scramble you know and i don't think he like gambles too often or anything which is something that is is good for him but yeah just that positioning to me because he was very off you know, face guardy. And, and it was just like, oh, I want to see him be able to make these reads in the right positions. And that would help him actually, you know, steal off ball a lot of times. So that, that's what I'm going to be looking for. It's nothing egregious. It's nothing to worry about too much. You know, I think we both have him at six. So I don't think either of yeah. us are like super concerned about, about that, but it's something that we think is worth monitoring going forward.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that, that could take him from six to three, you yeah. know, or like where some of these other places have them where, we have it as a monitor or an improvement area, but I don't think that he's, you know, barbecue chicken, as Shaquille O'Neal likes to say, um, on, on that side of the ball. And again, those intangible aspects, you know, how much is he going to be talking? You know, if he's in a zone, is he communicating to the corner? Is he communicating to the middle? You know, is he saying, hey, like I'm selling out to stop this ball right here and trusting, you know, the guys to, to his left and right behind him? I just I think that the defense is so interesting with him because I feel like we already have an idea of what his role is going to be on the offensive side. It's how good can he be defensively for Arkansas?
0: Yeah, and, and it'll, you know, it'll be interesting too because he while he gives that effort, you know, it, it's not like Arkansas is going to ask him to be that lockdown defender right. Like <laughs> right. That's probably going to be Jordan Walsh's responsibility. Mm-hmm. To come somebody like that, um, you know, he's not going to have to concern himself with protecting the rim and cleaning that up. Right. That's going to be Brazil's job. So, uh, you know, there are aspects where it's just like out of your control, like how important is the guard defense. And that's why we say that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, at at its core, I think the things that are important, he's a either really good at like being on the ball, or we're going to see where, you know, just how good he could be, which is making those kind of reads, um, off the ball that, help out that backline defense so that they don't have to sell out and, you know, give up easy shots at the rim. So I'm, I'm overall, I'm excited to, you know, see how he develops on that end. Um, all right. If you're buying stock in Nick Smith, who may you have bought stock in previously?
1: So this is interesting because I know I'm filling in for Albert. I'm trying to come up with some of these old school guys, but I think that Nick just is like this new brand of guard that they have a very specific type of role. And I'm just thinking like high end, like we're talking about, you know, we're no ceilings. Right. But if we're talking about like, if this, if every single thing breaks, right. A lot of his movements, a lot of his angles and reads um, and especially his scoring. I think that, he has a little bit of Darius Garland in his game. Oh, I see, I see some shades of a guy like Anthony Simons. Um, those are, are two guys that I just look at right now who are kind of score first guards mm-hmm. and have kind of grown into being able to be trusted as like that second side playmaker. Darius Garland obviously like broke it like he he hit a brand new level in the NBA last year. And I, again, I think that if Nick Smith could beat Darius Garland, like that's a home run hit for anybody but just his movements his body language the way that he he can attack the defense and you know the shooting prospects that both you know that that garland was coming into vanderbilt even though that his season was cut short from him i see a lot of that too for nick smith and i think kind of like on the lower side you know keeping it true to to albert here a little bit of emmanuel quickly in his game Mm -hmm. um as as a shooting prospect you know some of the same defensive concerns but i think that he plays a little bit bigger than those guys that i mentioned which also helps his draft stock as well, because if he can give you kind of shades of those prospects at his size, if he does measure out to be that six, five, that we were kind of flirting with, I I think that, you know, six might be a little low at the end of the year. The Knicks fans who follow along with the show
0: are, are a little heated right now that you mentioned quickly on the, the lower end for, for Nick. That's a good thing. They're high on my, on, on our guy, Emmanuel quickly. Um. So shout out to our, our our Knicks fans that tune in and shout out out! Uh, happy birthday to my guy CP, the franchise from Knicks Fan TV. There you go. Landed the RJ Barrett interview on his birthday. So um, mm. go uh, go check that out, everybody! Everybody watching. I like those names. I like those names a lot. I the, the Dar- Darius Garland is one of my favorite prospects of all time. Like mm-hmm. probably top three, just as uh, guys who I loved. Um, from the jump and was just all in on. So I, I like that name. I think Darius Garland much more natural feel as a passer, a, yeah. a but so much shades of his game that I see um, with the wiggle and, and the, the shot creation. Um, for me, I I went like you know he, to me as a prospect, he's like somewhere in between like Bones Highland and like Bradley Beal. Okay, you know, yeah. Am I saying he, I like, like the he, Bones you know, comp? You know, am I saying he's gonna? you know, comparing him to Bradley Beal, is he going to be the kind of guy that leads the league in scoring? I doubt it that, you know, that would be the highest of high end outcomes for him. Um, And I think that he would have to improve a little bit athletically, which I think he will, you know, in an NBA strength and conditioning program, but that, that burst will improve. Um, But somewhere in between, because I, you know, I think there are shades of both of those guys, Uh, some shades of like SGA, You know, I I like how they control the game, play with pace. They don't rely on athleticism a lot. You know, they can kind of, they both have kind of like a set shot. It's different. It definitely looks different. Nick Smith's is way cleaner. Um, You know, but they got like some in-between game. Maybe not like the best passer in the league, but certainly can get it done. So, but I think all those guys that we mentioned, they're all of the same ilk, all of Mm -hmm. of the same vein, right? Kind of score first, maybe, but can make plays a little bit. You know, like you touching on quickly, who he's got that float game that Quickly yep. has, and I, I think Quickly's actually done a very good job early on in his career using that floater to the threat of the floater to make that lob pass to Mitchell Robinson, Jericho Sims, which you know we touched on earlier. Hartenstein
1: this year, right? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. hey, Nicks <laughs> are going to be better than people think.
1: We're <laughs> they, back.
0: They they got guys that that could play NBA basketball, and a guy a coach in Tom Thibodeau who is. Better An than NBA a lot of want to want to admit to themselves after last year. Um, all right, look, you got big shoes to fill here, Stephen. You've done a know, fantastic. Man. You've been a fantastic uh, job, but it's time for you to fill in for Albert for America and the world's favorite segment.
1: Mm.
0: It's time for you to sell me this pen on Nick Smith Jr.
1: I mean. What's what, you know, we got, what are some of the, the, the big pen companies out there, right? Like big, um, that, you know, the, the gel pens that are out there. That's what Nick Smith reminds me of, man. It's like a nice gel pen. It's just like so easy to put on the paper. Um, one with the nice kind of spongy grip at the end where it's Mm -hmm. just like, you pick it up and you're like, man, I'm about to write the crap out of this paper. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's pretty, it's fun to make little loops on there. It glides. And it's not the type either to where if you're if you bump it with your pinky or your or your ring finger that you're going to leave smudges on the side, right? So it's like you're not making a mess. And just at the end of the day, you just feel good using that pin. And I think that's Nick Smith because he you're going to love watching him shoot. You're going to love watching him move off the ball. You're going to be surprised whenever you see him be so tenacious on that point of attack level defense and it's just going to be so it's going to be fun to write whatever it is that you're writing with nick smith as a pen because it just it feels good in your hands and it feels good putting it on the paper and it's just going to encourage you to want to write more and more and more you're going to need to buy more ink for nick smith jr uh
0: well done um you you know hopefully albert you know is going to be listening and and feel like you did his did him justice on the segment. I do. It's and, hard to uh, be Albert,
1: man. Like he's such a, he's a, he's a unique cat. I love Albert. Like one of my favorite, no ceilings, Brett. Like I love all of our guys. Right. But Albert is just like the sweetheart and he's, he's, he's my guy, man. I love him.
0: Can't wait to get that guy right. And again, he writes some of the most interesting pieces for the site. Mm-hmm. Um, He'll be back. He is just on a work trip. So uh, Stephen, thank you for filling in. Um, and sitting in the co-host chair for me today, uh, let the, uh, WWWs know where they can find you and, and what you got going on for, for no ceilings.
1: Yeah. So, um, first off, just thank you for having me. This is, uh, you know, it's great to be on draft deck. I listen to you guys like a fan, you know, I know that I work with you guys, but you know that I was rocking with y'all like well before when I was doing like an NBA podcast for two seasons before I started, coming into the draft space and I've I've just loved this show. So I'm coming here as a fan first and foremost, and then as a colleague um, secondly. So it's just awesome. Anytime that you guys want to have me on here, but you can follow me on Twitter is where I'm most active at Stephen G hoops. You can read any of my written work that I have posted over at no I've had three pieces um, come up so far. One of them is just, like, what have I seen work in the NBA? I kind of touched on it earlier is, like, what are the the player types that succeed the most, right? Not saying that they're the most important, but if you're looking to build a team, like, these are some of the player types that are going to help you succeed kind of quicker and uh, earlier instead of just betting on home runs. Uh, the other piece that I wrote was how we kind of need to temper our expectation with freshmen on these, like, way too early or never-too-earlier uh, mock drafts that we post up where we put like 27 of the 30 picks are freshmen. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way. You know, um, recent history shows that about 13 go in the first round um, on on most years. And then I did one prospect deep dive. Uh, Tyler Burton, just one of my favorite prospects. It, it looks like I'm not the only one at no ceilings that is a, a big Tyler Burton guy. Um, hopefully he comes back off of his uh, knee injury soon. He's supposed have already been back and participating with team uh, activities. And I just think, you know, his frame, his size, his rebounding, obviously his shooting prospect is something that I'm going to be monitoring closely, but all that's available at noceilingsnba.com. And then, you know, again, Draft Deeper podcast, we just recorded our first episode. By the time you're listening to this, uh, that first episode with me, um, Maxwell and Nathan should be out. And we're on a journey of just different segments. We just talked about what we would consider to be, 11 of the top incoming freshman class. And we're just going to be pumping that out weekly basis, just different segments on different classifications of basketball prospects for this draft cycle. But again, you know, Corey, just thank you so much for having me on, man. Anytime I get to work with you and get to see you and talk to you, man, it's a great day.
0: Always fun to have you on always fun to, you know, have anybody in the no ceilings click come through. So Uh, You can find me at Corey Tulliba on Twitter, the NBA draft dude on YouTube. If you're watching this on the no ceilings, YouTube, make sure that you like, and you are subscribed. Um, And then head over to no It is free to subscribe Mm. and you will very soon be getting content delivered to your inbox Monday through Friday. So please take advantage and subscribe to that for free. Uh, And then, uh, Help us out over at the draft deck. Give us a uh, a nice rating, review, share. Five stars would be dope, but you give, Do whatever, it. Your, give whatever your heart desires. You know, we like honesty over here. And uh, I appreciate everybody watching over on the, the YouTube stream, watching live. Uh, thank you, everybody, for rocking with us. Um, we will be back to break down more 2023 NBA draft prospects in the preseason. But we're getting closer to the real deal, real game time. And uh, we're excited about that. So make sure you are locked in everywhere to keep up to date until next time. We out. Peace. Peace.